I'm ready for the word of God this morning. And I believe that, I'm going to pray for us before we go into it, but I believe that this word is really for specific people this morning. And so I'm going to trust that the Lord will speak into each of our hearts this morning. Whatever your situation is, whatever you are trusting the Lord for, wherever you need breakthrough or wherever you need God to be real to you, not just the God you read about in the Bible, but he needs to be real to you personally. I'm trusting that that is going to happen. That's going to explode in your heart this morning. Why don't we just pray and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you this morning already, Lord, that this has already been such an incredible morning in your presence. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have prepared our hearts and that you have prepared my heart in this word, Lord, to really speak to each one of us today. Father, I think all of us are in a place where we've kind of had enough of this craziness of this year. But Lord, if there's anything that we need right now, it is the living word of God. Because we need your spirit, because that is what is going to bring life in our circumstances. That's what's going to bring life in our lives, Lord, in our businesses, in our finances, in every area of our life. So, Father, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. Lord, that you will speak to every heart. You would divide this word up and make it personable for every single one of your children this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We praise your name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, well, the notes, did you find them on version? Okay, praise the Lord. Because this morning I realized when we got to church, I forgot to make the notes live. So it should say, trust in God's faithfulness. Have we got that slide? So it should say, trust in God's faithfulness. Did you find it? Okay, hallelujah. So you can follow along, you can save the notes, and that way you can actually, later in the week, because you must go through the notes again. You can go through the notes again. So this morning, I want to speak about the title, Trust in God's Faithfulness. And those of you who here last week, or maybe you listen to the podcast, we try and record the podcast every week. What is a podcast? Someone asked me last week, what is a podcast? It's an audio version of the teaching. Okay. So we will post a link on our Facebook page or on our WhatsApp group. And you can go and listen to it there. But Johannes spoke about a theme called the bride of Christ. And he spoke about who is the bride of Christ. Now, we know that we, as born-again believers, are the bride of Christ. But as I listened to him speak about this, I thought of the idea of a marriage. You know, God, God uses the analogy of the bride of Christ and Jesus being the bridegroom as a marriage, Right? And what is a marriage? A marriage between a man and a woman, the way God designed it, is a covenant. Okay, often when we do marriage preparation for couples who are interested in getting married or they are thinking about getting married, we explain to them the difference between a covenant and a contract. We know that there's a difference between a covenant and a contract. But, you know, when you go into a covenant with someone, you go into a relationship with someone, a marriage relationship, you trust that the other person would be faithful to you. Amen. I mean, that, that is what one would assume. I would assume when I married Johannes three and a half years ago, when we stood at the altar and he made his beautiful vows that he wrote the night before, <laughs> yes, um, that he would be faithful to those vows, right? And he would assume the same from me, that I would be faithful to my vows, that is what we believe a marriage relationship should be like, and any relationship really. And I believe that the way that God has a relationship with us, if we are the bride of Christ and Jesus is our groom, then we are in a covenant relationship and that we would expect faithfulness from each other. Would that be fair to say? So I, I don't want to talk this morning about our faithfulness. We are going to do a, a part two. I always say to Johannes, I need two parts, three parts, four parts for every message because I've got, I mean, the Bible has got lots to say. There's lots to talk about. I cannot do it justice in 40 minutes, but I'm going to try. Okay. So I do not want to talk about, he has to give me a timer. I don't want to talk about our faithfulness to the Lord this morning. That's a great sermon, but we are going to get to that. This morning, I want to talk about God's faithfulness to us. You know, the way that God designed marriage, the man is the house 
the head of the house. And the same way God is our groom, Jesus is our groom, and he is the head of us. He is the head of the church. So he is the first one to demonstrate faithfulness. If he doesn't demonstrate faithfulness, then how are we supposed to demonstrate faithfulness? And I believe the challenge for us today, if we think about faith and you think about your relationship with the Lord, what is our faith based on? This might be a deep question for a Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. But if you think about your faith, what is your faith based on? For me, one of the key things my faith is based on, the fact that I can trust this person who says that he is the God of the universe. I must be able to trust him if I'm going to have faith in him. But how do I trust someone if he doesn't demonstrate faithfulness or demonstrate that he is worthy to be trusted? So, you know, when I got to know Johannes, I first got to know him as a person. I was very serious about wanting to marry a kingdom man. I wasn't here to play around. I was ready to serve Jesus as a single woman all my life because I was very serious about calling, very serious about what God has called me to do. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, I was going to marry someone that I can trust, not just trust, but trust that he will actually hear God's voice. All the single people, do not marry someone that you don't know is going to hear God's voice, especially if you're a woman. You don't want to get married to a guy who's not going to hear God's voice. It's true because he's the head of the house. But we need to be able to trust. And I think sometimes what I feel happens in our lives is that when we get to a place where, you know, circumstances are hard, like if we just look at 2020, I don't think there's any person who has not been impacted this year drastically in some way, shape, measure. But when what happens to our faith and our trust in our God when our circumstances get shaken? What happens to our faith, the basis of our faith, when things happen where we don't necessarily see that faithfulness the way we think we should see it? Does that make sense? Are you following? So what happens? I think that's our challenge today. I think we tend as Christians to respond in two different ways when our circumstances are shaken. When our natural circumstances and the things around us go crazy. <laughs> we have one or two options. The first option is we can make a decision to believe that God doesn't care about us anymore. That God doesn't love us anymore. Maybe we feel like he's forgotten us. I mean, who has felt like that? I have felt like that. In some of those difficult seasons, you feel like God has forgotten about you. We are the promises. We are the miracles. We are the things that he says. And we can make a decision to either believe those lies because those are lies. And we can go into a place of a victim mentality where we believe that God doesn't care anymore, and he's not a faithful God. He's not who he said he was. He's not the person that made the vows when we got married. Or we can make a second decision. We can respond in another way. We can make a decision to trust that he is who he says he is, even if we don't see it. That's called faith, but it's also called like a blind trust where we have to make a decision to decide, what am I going to believe? Really, the, it, it, it comes down to that. What am I going to believe? Am I going to believe this book, which is the word, which has the promises of God in it, which has the truth in it, where he says who he is, he says how he has been faithful throughout all the generations since the beginning of time, where he proves a lot of his faithfulness, where he says how he feels about you and me, we can either believe this or we can believe that maybe he's not real. And I think a lot of Christians are finding themselves in this place where they have to make a decision to trust the Lord, to trust in his faithfulness. Because I want to tell you this morning, church, that I don't necessarily think it's going to get any easier as we get closer to Jesus coming back. It's not necessarily going to get easier. In fact, this is the time where we have to dig deeper 
if we want to be ready as the bride of Christ. We have to dig deeper into our faith. We have to look harder if we don't see him. We have to fight harder to believe the truth instead of the lies. We have to go deeper. You have a choice. Either you don't and you're not ready when Jesus comes back, or you do and you are in a much better place in your faith. You are in a much better place in your day-to-day life. Because what is the opposite of trust? If I, didn't, if I didn't trust my husband, I would probably walk around with a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety that he will not stick to his word. He will not be faithful to me. So I think I would live a life of fear, anxiety, insecurities in my marriage if I didn't trust in his faithfulness. And I believe that's the choice that we can have in our relationship with the Lord. We can either decide to trust, and the result of that is peace and joy and righteousness. Or we can decide that actually I don't know that I believe this, and then continue to live in fear, live in anxiety, live in a constant place where I'm just Democrat all the time. And I don't believe that's God's heart for us. I I believe that God wants to encourage us this morning That none of this was a surprise to him. That God is still in control no matter what we see. That God is still in control no matter what we feel. That's a big one for all of us. It doesn't matter what we feel. Your feelings is not always the truth. Amen. And so, in this season, I really believe God wants to remind us that he is the heavenly groom who will always be faithful no matter what. He will always fulfill his promises, no matter what. He will always be truthful to who he is. Because the Bible says that God cannot change. He cannot change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. My husband can change. (laughs) Okay, I can change. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, You know, what was my point? That in this season, we need to be reminded that our heavenly groom wants to remind us that he is faithful, no matter what you see, no matter what you thought he would do. Because here's the thing, God doesn't work to our timetable. God doesn't work in our ways. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I had many different ideas of this church plant. In the beginning, I just need to take a sip of water. You know, God just doesn't work to your timetable. I think we arrived and we thought we were going to plant a church in September. Very ambitious. (laughs) At least we had faith. Okay. But what is the definition of faithfulness? I love a definition because it just puts us on the same place. Okay. A definition of faithfulness is this. It is someone who is true to their word their promises and their vows, fidelity, someone who is steady in allegiance, affection, loyal, constant, consistent. Do you not think that that is something that's missing in our society today? On every level is consistency. Someone that is consistent. Someone that when they say they are going to do something, they will actually do it and not change their mind and drop you at number 99. People are scared to commit these days. God is saying, I am consistent. I am truthful. Faithfulness means reliability, dependability, trustworthiness, to be believed, thorough in performance of duty. Who loves, who has their own business? Who has their own business? Okay. Whom of you have employees in your own business? You have people working for you. Don't you love a faithful employee? Isn't the best quality you can have in someone who works for you faithfulness? That you know that you can depend on them. You can trust when you give them an instruction, you come back and the job will be done. I love that. I love that in leadership. When someone is dependable, and I believe it's very rare. Someone who's faithful is steadfast, unchanging, and dependable. The Greek word used in Galatians 5 verse 22, which speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, faithfulness is also a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Holy Spirit develops in us. But okay, we are talking about God's faithfulness today. But that word that's used there is called pistis. 
And at the root, it means to hold fast or steady. And it means that it's one of God's strongest characteristics. He's a covenant maker who is faithful to the divine part of the covenant, even if we don't stick to our part. In the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament, we are going to dive a little bit back in the Old Testament today. Is that okay? We are going to end with New Testament, don't worry. But it's important for us when we recount the faithfulness of the Lord to look at the whole counsel of Scripture. And in the Hebrew language, you'll see that a lot of times they use the words steadfast love and loving kindness. If you, if you Google the Psalms and you Google you know, a Psalm that speaks about God's faithfulness, the words that they consistently use, the writers of Scripture, is steadfast love and loving kindness. And that's a Hebrew translation that implies faithfulness and steadfastness. Okay, so before we, we're going to look at two characters this morning where God made covenants with them. Actually, we're going to look at three, but two in the Old Testament where God made a covenant relationship with them. That type of bride, groom type of relationship. But the word covenant in the Strong's, which is a dictionary that you can go and read the original language in, in Scripture, that word covenant is Barrett, and it's appearing 250 times in the Old Testament. And a covenant was, in simple terms, let me just read it, a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to one another. Binding promises. In other words, it's for life. A contract, if one person breaks the contract, okay, you're out and we just cancel the agreement. A covenant is different from that. A covenant is for life. It's a mutual commitment from both parties. And so in the Old Testament, a king would make a covenant with his people. Or individuals would make covenants between one another. Or God would make a covenant with his people. Now... A covenant, there are five covenants in the Old Testament. I'm, we're going to go into teacher mode now. So there were five big covenants in the Old Testament. Okay, and they are very important. It's actually a very awesome study. If you want to do some extra Bible study, go and read what those covenants meant into the New Testament and why they were so important. If you look at the whole narrative of Scripture, of God and humanity and the whole, I mean, what is this all about? And there were five covenants. First with Noah. Everyone knows the story of Noah and the ark. Then there was Abraham. Then there were the Israelites. Then there was King David. And then there was Jesus. And we know Jesus brought in a new covenant. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But a covenant, God's covenant, served a purpose of assurance that God will actually realize his purposes and his promises for creation. Because remember when... When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke relationship with the Lord. Sin entered, spiritual death came, and the plans that God had for humanity looked very different. So God takes us in a narrative in the Old Testament, and we're going to start with Noah this morning. And if you start reading from Genesis 6, you can start reading Noah's story. And so by the time Noah was in the earth, and he was born, and you know he lived a very long time, <laughs> Humanity became wicked. And, you know, we think we have a wicked world today. Is it you that always says that? Actually, you know, that is scary. The Bible says that there was only one man on the entire earth that was found righteous. And that was Noah. That means all of humanity, every single human being was wicked and evil. That's why God decided, okay... I am actually, the Bible says actually that this grieved his heart. This grieved his heart. And so by this time he said to Noah, you are the only one that were faithful and that were righteous. And now I'm going to send a flood. I need you to build an ark. He gave him all the instructions for this crazy ark. And everyone else thought he was crazy. And God said, I am going to destroy all of earth and everything in it, except for this one family. And so we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 9. And God said the following. Let's just maybe read it. Okay, Genesis 9 verse 11. And this is God speaking to Noah. And he says, yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. And never again will a flood destroy the earth. 
And then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. Okay. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all of the earth. And when I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the flood waters destroy all life. And when I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on the earth. Okay, so I thought that was really crazy. So the Lord actually said to him that, Okay, I'm going to destroy the whole earth. I need you to build an ark. I need you and your wife and your three sons and your three daughter-in-laws, basically eight people in this ark with, you know, two pairs of every creature on the earth. And I'm going to preserve you and I'm going to create a new humanity out of you. That's a crazy covenant. And the Lord said to him that he would make them fruitful and he would make them multiply, just like he told Adam and Eve in the beginning. So God said, I'm going to make a new covenant, and I'm going to remember my covenant through the sign of the rainbow. And I love how the rainbow sometimes gets hijacked by certain movements these days. It's a sign of God's covenant. It's a sign of God's faithfulness. It's not a sign of anything else. I'm just throwing that out there. Okay? So... What was interesting to me about this covenant that the Lord made and the faithfulness that he proved to Noah was the fact that, do you know how long they were in this ark? Can anyone take a guess? How long were they inside of the ark? 370 days. So scholars say that they believe it took Noah between 55 and 75 years to build the ark. That's older than these guys who had birthdays this week together. <laughs> now they feel very young. And so it took him between 55 and 75 years. That's a long time to wait for God's promise and for this covenant to be fulfilled. Then he got a week's warning, seven days. And the Lord said to him, now it's time to embark, get into the ark, you and the rest of your family and all the animals, because now I'm going to send the floods in seven days' time. Then it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Then for another 150 days they waited, and they were parked on a mountain, the Bible says. Remember, this is when he started sending out the dove, and, you know, and the waters were still very high, they couldn't get off. This was another 150 days. I wonder how many of us in this season feel like we are parked on a mountain and we are trapped inside the ark. You feel like you are parked and you're not getting anywhere. You look out the window, you send out the dove, there's no sign of life yet. Can anyone relate to that this morning? You can apply it to your situation wherever you are at. And then the Lord sent the winds he first said this, let me just get my order right, because when I shared it with Johannes last night, I told him that he built the ark in seven days. <laughs> Johannes is like, <laughs> no, he told him that the floods were coming in seven days, so it, okay, but the Lord said to him, another 150 days, they had to wait, and then another 70 days, for the Lord to send the winds to dry up the water on the earth. If you add that up, I mean, my math is not great, but it's 370. That's a little over one year. That he was stuck in the ark with his family and animals in, I mean, those animals had to go somewhere. For us, I like droppings. I mean, like, can you imagine? And some of us feel like that. We feel like we are in the ark. We are smelling the animals. We are parked on a mountain. We can't disembark. We can't get off. And you feel like you are parked. But God is saying, I will remember my covenant. And I will remember my promise that I made to you. We just have to wait. And we have to trust in God's timing. And I believe lessons we can learn from faithfulness to Noah. Number one is that God remembers. Genesis 8 verse 1 said that the Lord remembered Noah. He said, I remember Noah. And then he started sending the winds. 
So it's almost scary if, if the Bible says that God remembered, does it mean that he can also forget? No. But many times in Scripture you read that God, it says that, and God remembered this person, and God remembered that person. And whenever you read, and God remembered, then you can always go and look up afterwards that some immediate action was taken after the Bible says, and God remembered. So that's very exciting if you feel like God is saying to you that I remember you, because that means action is coming. It's like he acknowledges that, and actually God doesn't forget, God's got a very specific timetable. There's an appointed time for everything. God works with a plan, even if we're not sure what it is. So number one, God remembers us. Someone here this morning needs to know that God has not forgotten about you. God has not forgotten about the promise that he's made to you. God has not forgotten about what you are trusting him for. Amen. Number two, second lesson, I believe that God sees us even if we think he doesn't. Have you gone through seasons where you just feel like you're invisible? You feel like no one sees you. I mean, people see you, they greet you, but no one sees you. Someone can see you. Or they can really see you. They can see your heart. They can see when you are hurting, when you don't even say anything. Because we're all so good at putting up our, praise the Lord, welcome to church, faces. But inside we are hurting. And inside we don't share with people what we are feeling. Our God is a God that knows what's happening on the inside of your mind. He knows what's going on in the inside of your heart. Genesis 7 verse 1 God said to Noah, I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. God saw from heaven wickedness, 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 but he saw one man that was righteous. And I want to encourage you today, if you are the only righteous person in your office, if you are the only one in your family that serves the Lord, if you are the only one wherever, God knows and God sees we get, we're going to get to Abraham, but in Genesis 16, there was a lady called Hagar. Hagar was a slave of Abraham, and she got pregnant, and she fled into the wilderness because she was basically chased away from her home. And God met her through an angel in the desert, and she called God, God El Roy, which in Hebrew means, my God who sees me. So I want to encourage some people this morning, if you feel invisible, if you feel like you're in a season where no one sees your pain, no one sees what you're going through. No one knows that you're smiling at church, but you're crying at home. That God sees you. He is God our Roy. He is the God who sees. That means he's the God who never sleeps. Aren't we grateful that God never takes a nap? God doesn't take shifts in heaven. Okay, this angel, you can take the night watch. God never sleeps. This may sound simple, but sometimes we need this reminder because we forget. God never sleeps. He's the omnipresent God. He's always there. He hears how people speak to you. He sees how people treat you. He knows what's the aches of your heart, the desires of your heart. He knows it. He hears everything and he is aware third lesson I believe we can learn from Noah is that God cannot lie. Numbers 23 verse 19 says the following. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. I really struggle sometimes in leadership when people change their mind. <laughs> I really do. God does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Someone needs to hear this morning, the Lord will not, not carry it through. He will not. Have you ever doubted God's promises to you? I've been in that place. Have you ever doubted God's promise to you because you're not seeing the fulfillment in the timing that you want to see it? Or you're not seeing it in the way that you thought? 
I mean, I was trusting the Lord for a husband. Then I met Johannes, and he, you know, rescued girls from human trafficking. And I thought, no, that's not my husband. I am going to marry a pastor. Very noble, but that's not it. The package I'm looking for and expecting is a pastor. Nia, I was not worried about a six-pack. <laughs> I wanted a pastor. And the Lord was like, okay, I need you to stop looking at your expectations and trust that I know what you need, when you need it, and how you are going to receive it. Amen. Who is trusting the Lord for a promise if you've never received a specific promise for something in your life? Who's trusting the Lord for a word or a promise this morning? You can raise your hands. Okay. We are going to trust the Lord with you. And I want to say that if you want to pray afterwards, then we are going to pray with you. But I want to also encourage you that this book is full of promises. Because sometimes I chat to people and they say, well, they've never received a promise from the Lord. Well, until you get a prophetic word or until you get a vision or, you know, sometimes Jesus walks into a room and he speaks to you directly. Until something like that happens, every single promise in this book is for you and for me. So if you need a promise for provision, then here's a promise, lots of promises for provision in here. If you need a promise for health and wholeness, there's lots of promises in here. But it's like, did we speak about it last week or the week before? We need to appropriate that. In other words, we need to trust the Lord for it and make it our own and believe that this word actually speaks to us as well. Amen. Noah had to decide to trust the Lord when he was being ridiculed for building an ark for 75 years, more or less, that was his entire lifetime. Well, no, he lived more than 500 years. But I mean, for us, it's an entire lifetime. But he had to trust that God was going to be faithful. And you know how many people in the Old Testament never even saw the promises of God fulfilled? In Hebrews, it says that many of, many of those giants of faith did not even see the fulfillment of the promise. But we are seeing it today. So we can learn from Noah that God sees us, God hears us, and he remembers us, and he cannot lie. Number two, I want to talk about Abraham. You can read his story from Genesis 12, but God was calling Abraham, and this is such an awesome story because for me, God really spoke to me and Johannes through the story of Abraham, and he, he told Abraham, go and leave your country, your family, and everyone you know behind, and go to the land that I will show you. Okay, God told him to leave behind all his personal identity, all his personal security, everything that he knew, to a land where he does not know. At least we knew Namibia. And Johannes was born here, so. But for me, I felt the same. Like I had to make a decision to trust the Lord that he was actually going to provide in this. So he told Abraham that... He was going to make him into a great nation. He would bless him and make his name great. And basically, this Abraham covenant was going to be a blessing to all families all over the earth for eternity. We are all still blessed because of Abraham, because Jesus came through Abraham. Amen. So this was a huge promise. God did not just promise him one son. He promised to bless every single one of his descendants until Jesus comes back. That's a rather large covenant that God made with him. And so Abraham obeyed, and he was 75 years of age. Okay? Just think of this. You are retired now. The Lord gives you a promise and a covenant and says, okay, now go. <laughs> you thought you were going to retire at the ocean by the beach. And he said, no, 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 now begin it here. We heard of another... Um, He's a well-known minister of the Lord, and he's 80 years old, and he said the other day, somewhere on YouTube, he said that God is only now starting in his life. He served the Lord his whole life, but at 80, God gives him a new mission. And so Abraham moved his family off to Canaan, and Canaan, how do you say that in English? Canaan. Canaan, Canaan. And when they arrived, the Lord promised him a second time that I'm going to make you into a great nation. Okay. 
and that he would give this land to his descendants. Now, why was that a crazy promise? It was a crazy promise because his wife was barren, Sarah. She was first Sarah, and then she became Sarah. So some type of miracle was needed for him to actually get an offspring, to get descendants to bless. So this was a beautiful word in theory, but I wonder how many times Abraham sat and he wondered, how is this promise going to come into fulfillment? Because my wife is barren, and nothing seems to change in her body. In fact, she's only getting older, both of them. Okay, so he needed to trust God implicitly. He needed to trust that this covenant, this promise that God made was going to come into fulfillment by some way, shape, or form. Genesis 13, God promises him a third time. Now, remember, he's still waiting. A third time, God says to him, I will make you into a great nation. As far as you can see, I will give you all the land and all your offspring as the dust of the earth. You will not be able to count them. So every time God promises him, he gives him another clue as to what is going to happen. But still, Abraham sees nothing in the natural. He keeps getting promise after promise after promise, but nothing is happening. Have you also been in that position? Now many years start to pass, and Abraham is starting to doubt God's faithfulness. But God promised him a fourth time. Genesis 15, it says this. Sometimes later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abraham. For I will protect you and your reward will be great. So clearly he was starting to become afraid. Okay, he's now probably in his 80s. You know, getting a child really is becoming a bit complicated. But Abraham replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Another translation says, Lord, what will you give me? Since you've given me no children... Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will have to be my heir. And then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And another translation says, You will have a son of your flesh and blood. Okay, so we're not even talking adoption, we're talking his flesh and blood. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So I think if I was Abraham, I would get a a little bit anxious by this stage because, you know, I'm in my 90s. My wife is in her 90s. For neither one of us, a conception looks very Uh, possible right now. (laughs) I mean, and so in Genesis 16, now we see that the Lord confirmed, not confirmed his fear, but reassured him, comforted him. And the Lord will do that with us sometimes. Sometimes we need to stay in faith, but sometimes he will come and confirm it again with us just to calm our hearts down. Sometimes we just need God to comfort us. I mean, but now Sarah didn't get the word. Now, I don't know, sometimes when men communicate, maybe it's not quite clear, But I don't think Abraham communicated to Sarah, don't worry, the Lord reassured me again. I don't know how it's going to happen. We're both in our 90s, but don't worry, a miracle is going to happen. She gets anxious and she starts to make her own plan. She says to Abraham, here's my servant Hagar, go and have a child. She's she's fertile, she can have children. Let's, Let's have a baby through her because God is obviously taking too long. And we need to be making a plan. I mean, we are almost dying. The Bible says they were so old. And sometimes we get to that place where we make our own plan because we get tired of waiting for the Lord. We go into the flesh and we try and give birth to God's promises through our own plans. Instead of letting God do in his timing what he wants to do. And you know what? God is still faithful. God still blessed Hagar. He saw her. He sent an angel when she was pregnant and all alone because now, okay, she had the, the missus, you know, she was the servant. Now she's getting the baby from the husband. I mean, it caused a lot of drama in the household, okay? That wasn't God's heart. Sarah chased her way into the wilderness, okay? <laughs> and God is still faithful. And God said to Hagar, I will still bless your son. 
even though that was not his plan, that was completely a human-made idea because they were getting tired of waiting. And in Genesis 17, God continues and he, as he promised. He makes a covenant with Abraham and tells him again that Sarah will have a son and they have to call him Isaac. So he again, again confirms it. And then he says to him that this time next year, now God's get, getting very specific. Now he's even given him a time and he says next time this year. Literally, Abraham was 99, Sarah was 90. So she would be 91, he would be 100. But somewhere the conception has to happen. <laughs> okay. At that age. And in Genesis 18, angels visited Abraham and they confirmed the timing of the promise. This time next year. And both Abraham and Sarah actually laughed at the Lord. We need to be very careful when the Lord gives us an impossible promise. That we laugh at him. Because nothing is impossible for the Lord. And I believe we are going into a season where we are going to see a lot more of the impossible happening. It was impossible for Johannes and me to launch a church from when we received our first word. You don't even want to know. But God spoke to us through this story, and that's why I think it's so resonating in my heart. Have we ever doubted God's promise just because it's impossible? We don't need the details, and we don't need all of the natural things for God to do a miracle. But sometimes we think we do, and that's why we lose faith. And that's why we lose trust in his faithfulness, because we think we need to make it happen. And I'm here to remind some of us this morning that God is the one that will make it happen. You don't have to open the doors. You don't have to push your way through. He is going to be the one that makes it happen. I'm almost done. Okay, so Genesis 18, the Lord said, is anything too hard for me? And finally, Isaac is born. 25 years after the Lord gave Abram the first promise. No one wants to hear that they have to wait another 25 years. Okay. But 25 years it took. But God was faithful. Quickly, lessons we can learn. Number one, God never makes a promise he will not fulfill. He will never speak to you something that he will not fulfill. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Hebrews 10, 23 says that he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. If you leave here today and you remember anything, I want you to remember this. He who promised is faithful. When Johannes and I left Cape Town, we had no resources. When God gave us the promise, we waited three years before we moved. We had no financial resources. We had no team. We had no human resources. We had no church building. We had no chairs. We had no sound equipment. We had no nothing. <laughs> Johannes always said, it's me and you and Jesus. And that's what we came with. We didn't even have lots of furniture. We came with um, a Kia and whatever we could fit into the Kia. We did two, three trips from Cape Town. That's how we came. And God gave us a promise and God said to us that this, you know, all these things he's going to do in the church. He said to us that he will provide everything we need. Everything. We were sponsored a sound system. We were sponsored all sorts of things. I can't even remember now everything because I'm running out of time. Okay, God said to us, I will give you every single volunteer you need. God has sent us all these incredible volunteers, even people who love children, people who know how to work that incredibly confusing soundboard. God said, I will provide. God said to us, I will provide the building. He provided the building just in time. There's many other promises that we are still holding on to. to 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And the last covenant, as we end off, I just want to share that through Jesus, God made a new covenant. Jeremiah, this is the last scripture, Jeremiah 31 says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And God said that I am making a new covenant through Jesus. I am going to stay faithful to my people. 
And I'm going to send my son to die on a cross for them so that his blood represents the new covenant of forgiveness of sins. So that we can all be righteous. So that we could all be part of the bride of Christ until Jesus comes back and we can experience his faithfulness. Because the old covenants were always broken by people. That's why God made a new covenant. And through Jesus, we see 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 says that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. And so lastly, what can we learn from this new covenant is that we are recipients of God's grace, mercy, and faithfulness. We are recipients of a new covenant of forgiveness for sins. We are recipients of a new covenant that God will be our bridegroom and he will remain faithful even if we are faithless. Amen. His mercies and faithfulness are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 23. He is faithful even if we are faithless. And as the team just puts the music on, I just want to take us into a moment of prayer this morning as we end this service. And I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you to think of Jesus. I want you to think and imagine the bridegroom is standing in front of you. He sees you. He hears you. He remembers you this morning. That what no one else knows, He knows. And He's saying that I am immutable. I will not change. I cannot change. Just as I was faithful to Noah, just as I was faithful to Abraham, I am going to be faithful to you. There's a scripture in Revelations 19 that says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war, and his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of the Lord. And on his robe and his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I want you to see Jesus in the spirit before you, reminding you that he will be faithful, reminding you that he's not forgotten. And I want to pray for two groups of people as we end the service this morning. If there's anyone here in the room and maybe you've never actually accepted this new covenant with Jesus. Maybe you've never accepted him into your life. Maybe you've never made the decision to become part of the bride of Christ. Because the Bible says that we were all born into sin and the wages of sin is death, spiritual death. And there is a real hell and there is a real heaven and eternity is very real. And if we do not make a decision this side of eternity to follow Jesus Christ, we will not reign with Him in eternity. When He comes back for the bride, we will not be part of that bride unless we surrender our lives to Him. So if there's anyone here this morning that wants to make that decision, I want to give you a chance. You can just gently raise your hand and I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. We just want to pray with you and Johannes and I want to bless you with a small gift from our church. Amen. And so the second group of people I want to pray for is if you are sitting here this morning and you are feeling like you are in the place where you are tired of waiting. You are in the place where you are not sure that you actually are in a position where you feel like you are so confident in the Lord's faithfulness. Maybe you've been waiting for something to come about and it hasn't come about yet in your timing or it hasn't come about in the way that you've been expecting. 
and you're kind of feeling like you're a, disappoint, a bit disappointed in the Lord. If that is you, I want you to just gently raise your hand. Everyone's eyes stay closed. I'm just going to pray for you. Okay, thank you, Lord. And I'm going to pray for you this morning, and I'm going to lead us into a prayer to remind our hearts that God will be faithful no matter what. And Father, I just want to thank you for every person in this room this morning. Lord, every heart that says, I'm going to be honest, I feel like I am disappointed in you, Lord. I feel like I have lost trust in your ability to fulfill your promises. I hear these stories of Noah and I hear the stories of Abraham, but Lord, I'm just not sure if I hear my name in the category of promises fulfilled. And I want you to just raise your hand to heaven. Raise both your hands to heaven. And let's just pray a corporate prayer together this morning. You can just repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the reminder that you can be trusted. Thank you that your word says you cannot lie, that you are faithful, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So forgive me this morning, Lord, for losing trust in you, for forgetting who you say you are, for not seeing what you want me to see. Come and open my spiritual eyes. Come and open my spiritual ears and let me see you working in my life. I put my trust in you afresh this morning. I know you will provide. I know you will come through. Help me to believe in your timing and in your way. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. I really pray that that word encouraged your heart. And I want to encourage you this morning to go into this week and really take God at His promises. If you feel like you need a new word from the Lord, come and let us pray for you. Or go and sit with His Scriptures this week and ask Him, Lord, give me a Scripture for this season. Give me a word from You for this season. Because He is faithful. And He will not let you down. He will not forget about you. Amen. Amen.